0: Hey, I'm Johanna Wagstaff. This is a CBC podcast. Wellness, 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 vitamins and supplements.
1: Ozempic and Wakeov. The detox diet. You sweat out the toxins. I eat more than bone broth and vegetables. I always like try and get a little bit of meditating in. Try out cryotherapy. Corporate wellness company. Any kind of skincare, any kind of self-care. But I
0: take it almost regularly. No wonder your skin looks great. Our new series, Well Founded, is looking at the business of wellness. What works, what doesn't, what exactly is backed by evidence. This is something that our next guest has been doing for years. Jonathan Jerry is a science communicator at McGill University's Office for Science and Society. Part of his job is finding out the truth behind health claims that go viral. His podcast, The Body of Evidence, is about debunking pseudoscience and separating out wellness myths from what can actually help you. He is in Montreal. Jonathan, good morning. Hi. We'll get into um, some of the specific health claims that you've looked at in just a moment, but let's talk about skepticism, which is something that runs, I think, through the heart of what it is that you're doing. Why is that important? As a starting point, when when it we're looking at all of the wellness claims that that are coming at us from a lot of different angles right now.
1: Exactly. I mean, we are bombarded by claims and it is important to be able to properly evaluate them. And that takes expertise, uh, but also for just, just about anybody. I think having a, a fair amount of skepticism is important. Now, that, that, that's different from cynicism and it's different from gullibility. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. And it's about uh, proportioning your belief to the strength of the evidence and being open-minded enough to change your belief in the face of newer and better evidence. When you take a look at wellness in particular, how much
0: misinformation
1: is out there? So much. I mean, so much. I don't want to say that it's, it's all misinformation, but when it's not false, it is generally overhyped. You, you
0: looked at this um, firsthand through this video that you did,
1: and this is a moss that can
0: cure cancer. Um, and yeah. you sent this out into the universe. Just tell me a little bit about this.
1: So uh, this was 2018. I mean, there were so many of these videos that were circulating on social media. They were quickly put together. They were using, uh, you know, footage that was just freely available, music that was freely available. And there was text on screen telling you that this or that intervention was going to cure your cancer. But the FDA, the United States regulatory agency, the, the Food and Drug Administration did not want you to know about this. So, so very clear conspiratorial overtone. And I was sent one of those videos by a former colleague of mine and this it was kind of the, the the last straw for me. I thought, you know what? I could make one of these videos so quickly um, but with a different message just reminding people how easy it is to get tricked by these little videos. And so I put one together, uh, showed it to my boss. We decided to release it in in a peculiar way because we didn't want for the video to be coming out of our office's channel so that people would know the, you know what our what our intentions were. And so we recruited a few influencers and they posted it natively on their social media. And basically what it was was a video saying that this fictional moss uh, could cure cancer, but the FDA didn't want you to, to know about this. Mm. And then halfway through the video, um, there's a twist, uh, which shows that everything you've been told is false. And, and it basically invites the, the viewer to be skeptical of these kinds of videos online. And at the time, I thought, if we get 10,000 views, I will be very, very happy. And the last time we checked, it had a total number of views of uh, about 14 million. Wow.
0: Why do you think so many people connected with it?
1: I think a key point to its virality was the fact that people were taken in by it, and they wanted to see if their friends would also fall for it. And so it made them share it with their friends to see what would happen. And there's so many of the comment sections underneath the video were, you know, people who watched a few seconds of it and said, ah, this is nonsense. And then somebody said, watch until the end. Uh, and so there were people who already knew that this was nonsense, but others really needed to sort of have their eyes open to the fact that these, these videos are not reliable. We have to question where they're coming from, who is making them and if the claims that they make have any real validity. How do you think
0: the pandemic impacted misinformation, particularly on social media?
1: Um, A lot. There, There was a tsunami of misinformation and disinformation during the pandemic. I had never seen... The pace at which, at which it was being made uh, there's a famous law called brandolini 's law which is that debunking a claim takes so much more time and effort than simply making uh, a fictional claim and that 's what we were seeing is that you know, we were digging into these claims that were being made in real time it, it was it took time because there's often a, a little kernel of truth there and you, I think it is important to recognize that and to be honest about it um, but then by the time you were done looking into one claim three newer claims had had been made and so we had to sort of keep chasing them down because they were just so easy to make but so much harder to to critically appraise and investigate.
0: Why do you think we're vulnerable to this? Why why are we vulnerable to misinformation and pseudoscience, particularly when it comes to our health, to our wellness?
1: There are a number of reasons. I mean, our brain is wired in such a way that we see patterns even where, where there are no patterns. And that is, that has a survival advantage. Um, it's important for a baby to recognize a face, because that face comes and cares for them. But then we start to see faces everywhere, like on Mars, when, uh, when a probe uh, with a uh, with a camera that's not, 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 not up to, to modern standards you know, takes a photo of a, of a mountain there and it looks like a face to us. So we see faces where there are no faces. We see patterns where there are no patterns. Uh, but then there's also the fact that, you know, our healthcare system is not doing very well and that leads to a lot of frustrations, very understandable frustrations and a lot of people will seek an alternative to that and there are people that are making a a, a very good living selling you this alternative and getting you to distrust mainstream institutions more and more and they will offer you this this alternative which looks very uh, seductive uh, from the outside because it's very simple answers, these things are good, these things are Bad. Uh, trust me. Don't trust these these other people. And the reality is that you know science and its applications are very nuanced and complicated, and that takes a toll on your brain. It's a lot easier to believe things that are simpler. That we're looking for a silver bullet. Pretty much, yeah. You can imagine
0: that there are people who would dismiss those who get taken in by some of this misinformation in pseudoscience. Well they, they they're suckers, they weren't paying attention, they didn't do their homework. You say that that being an effective skeptic demands compassion. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, we can talk about snark and, and, about, uh, and about sort of sarcasm um, in, in science communication. And, you know, there, there have been some studies, for example, of, of The Daily Show under Jon Stewart and how it was effective in some ways to sort of mock the other side. It was effective in changing some people's beliefs. So I don't want to completely dismiss that. And I can be a little snarky at times, but I'm also reminded of, of the fact that very few people change their minds after being called idiots. And so I I think it's important to role model uh, a way of thinking and a way of living that is appealing to people because we don't want skepticism to look like we're all bitter and jaded and unhappy because who would want to be like this? I think it's important to show that no... Um, you can be happy uh, and you can be well-served by having a brain that is uh, properly calibrated for the right kind of skepticism. C- C-
0: Compassion is interesting though, because in some ways it suggests that you understand why somebody could be taken in by this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, and I've been taken in by this as well. I mean, I've seen uh, a chiropractor in the past, I've seen an osteopath and, you know, the, we can talk about w- what little benefits I, I got from these things. I, I, I understand uh, the appeal of these things, especially when you have a chronic, illness. Chronic diseases are very difficult to treat. And so you go see somebody, uh, an alternative practitioner who has the one true cause of all diseases and the one true solution for all of these diseases. And that's very appealing.
0: Let's talk about some of the specific health claims that you have looked at recently. One of them is mindfulness meditation. This is a multi-billion dollar industry. There are apps that people pay for. They are incredibly popular. People say that those apps have changed their lives,
1: Um, do they actually work? Well, first of all, they would only work if you use them. And uh, an, impor- an important point to make is that a lot of people will abandon them uh, within a year. I think it's something like half of people will abandon these apps within a year of, of starting to use them. So that's number one. Number two, um, when we look at scientific studies of mindfulness meditation for a variety of uh, of issues like anxiety and depression and sleeplessness, when we compare people who do mindfulness meditation, uh, who, who are trained for the first time to do it, uh, and we compare them to people who do nothing, uh, there is a small, significant benefit to mindfulness meditation, but when it is being compared to people who do something else, what is called an active control group, uh, it might be seeing a psychotherapist, any kind of intervention other than mindfulness meditation, there is no difference between those two groups. Um, Now, to be fair, the studies of mindfulness tend to be quite short. They usually wrap up within two months. Uh, A lot of practitioners will tell you that it takes months, if not years, to really gain the full, deep benefits of mindfulness meditation. So I'm not against mindfulness, but I think it's important to peel back all of this hype that has been laden on top of it.
0: What's the harm in using those apps if, if the science isn't there to support them or that science isn't particularly robust?
1: There's no great harm. Um, now, there are instances where people report having sort of traumatic flashbacks uh, from doing mindfulness meditation if they had trauma prior in their lives. These reports are quite rare. The problem is that they are poorly reported in the literature. So we don't really know how common they are. But people can try this. On on a scale of of kind of, you know, wellness interventions, this is amongst the the more tame ones, Mm -hmm. I would say. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Café with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts.
0: All right, let's talk about another one. You've been writing recently about peptides. These uh, are touted by fitness gurus to help build muscle, um, among other claims. I want to play you something posted by a fitness YouTuber. His name is Ryan Humiston. He has almost 2 million followers online. Have a listen to this.
1: So let me give you my experience so far because I've noticed two major things. The first one being my muscles are always fuller and rounder. I know it's hard to tell because for some reason this is the first day I decided to wear a shirt that fits me. Hold on. The second major thing I've noticed is the quality of my sleep. Subjectively, I wake up and I feel more rested. But objectively, when I'm not a lazy piece of and I take my shot before bed, I've noticed my HRV score is higher. Pair that with the mouth taping I've been doing, my sleep has been phenomenal.
0: There's a lot of jargon that goes on in there. Um, HRV is your heart rate variability. He talked about taping his mouth shut. There are some people who do that apparently to make sure that they breathe through their nose. Um, That's a separate matter, which we don't really want to deal with right now. But if you take a look at the peptides, what are the peptides? What do they do?
1: I was surprised by this because it's one thing for people to be popping pills and they don't really know what's in them because that's the truth for a lot of dietary supplements. There's a lot of adulteration and contamination. That's one thing, taking things by mouth. But injecting yourself with experimental drugs because somebody on YouTube or or TikTok told you to, uh, that really took me by surprise. And what what those things are, I mean, peptides is a very large group. Some of them are not even technically peptides. I mean, peptides are small proteins, if you will. They're made up of amino acids. Uh, But a lot of them were experimental drugs that were, tested in, internally by pharmaceutical companies, for instance, uh, back in the 1990s, and they were found to have uh, very little benefits and a lot of possible risks. And now somehow they're making a comeback and they're being endorsed by these uh, health influencers, often men who are you know, very athletic, uh, who are selling them as uh, solutions to gain bigger muscles, to sleep better. And again, th- there's no, no good evidence that they, they really do anything positive. And of course, you are injecting yourself with experimental drugs that you bought on essentially a black market, but some people are doing this and it surprises me. What about beyond the idea of injecting experimental drugs, as you say, I mean, there's a huge
0: market for supplements and you can see them in health stores. You can hear ads for them on just about every podcast. um, And they promise that you will get all these benefits. You're getting all of your uh, essential vitamins, minerals, and more and more and more gut health, what have you. What do you do in the face of that message? Because the sales pitch is really strong.
1: It is. Uh, the things that most people don't need dietary supplements. I mean, if you have a medically diagnosed deficiency of some sort, then you'll be prescribed these very specific supplements for that. But it is appealing. Um, on the one hand, it's appealing because people think, well, you know, what's the harm? You know, might as well be the best me that I can be. Uh, and, and, and that's sort of how wellness is often sold as being very distinct from medicine. It's not about treating an ailment, it is about just optimizing your health, is often how it's phrased. But actually, when you look at, for example, the work of Colleen Durkatch uh, in Ontario, and she wrote a book called Why Wellness Cells. Um, when you really push these people, they will reveal that, well, actually I'm taking this supplement or that supplement because I have this disease, this illness, this diagnosis, and I'm trying to treat it using these supplements. So very often wellness, which is sold as being distinct from medicine and as being a way to optimize your health, it is really an alternative to health. And again, to come back to chronic conditions, you know, medicine is not very good at this. And so people start popping these supplements because they're seen as natural. They see all these testimonials and that convinces them that and they, they, sort of, they have faith that these supplements will, will do something in the long run. Mm. Let's talk about one final uh, thing that you were looking at, which was
0: claims around essential oil and memory.
1: This was interesting because this was a study from a big university in California. And uh, essentially they, they set up these people with these uh, essential oil diffusers and they would give them a different oil every night and they would cycle through them uh, every week or so. And the the idea was that your brain would get triggered by a different scent each night as you went to sleep and that it would help with your memory, it would keep your, your brain active, like, like a mini gym for your brain, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the study was... Um, in my opinion, pretty terrible, and the results were very, very unconvincing. However, the study was funded by a, a major multinational company, and I worry that what is happening here is that this company funded the study, and now will put on the market a an, an aromatherapy diffuser where you can load multiple scents at once, and they will they will stick a seal on it saying, you know, this has been proven by science. Um, and so we have to be wary of these things. I mean, it, it is, unfortunately, there are financial incentives in research. Um, it's Sort of inevitable. Somebody has to pay the bill for research, Uh, but we have to be careful when these interests are there simply to uh, give legitimacy to a product using really you know shoddy science to sell to sell a product. I mean, at the heart of it, you're talking about scientific literacy, right? Yeah. Uh, that 's a big part of it I, It is more than that because there are issues of identity uh, that, that come into this and personal experience and values, but yes, it is important for people to understand how science is being done by human beings. It is not a perfect system. I love science it 's a great philosophy, uh, but in practice, you know there are bad incentives in the system and it 's important to be aware of them.
0: What should we be looking for to assess in the, in that mindset of scientific literacy if something is is actually proven or just pseudoscience?
1: be wary of the headline a new study shows X because usually one study is not enough and we want to have a body of evidence to really come to a, a firm conclusion be, uh, be skeptical of people who say well it's natural therefore it's good for you uh, so is scorpion venom I don't recommend it uh, be, be skeptical of people who say well it's been used for thousands of years well so was bloodletting that doesn't mean that it worked just there was no alternative to that be skeptical of, of an over reliance on testimonials know, personal stories of I did this and then and it help me? Uh, because those do not take into account the placebo effects. Uh, be wary of, of vague claims, you know, uh, a product that helps the body do this and helps maintain that. Those are not regulated the way that strong medical claims are. Anybody can make these claims. Uh, things like help the body heal itself. I mean, it's a very common claim in, in the wellness space. And also be very skeptical of these grand conspiracy theories where seemingly everybody in power is, is sort of, you know, c- cavorting behind the scenes uh, to manipulate the world uh, because a lot of pseudoscience, unfortunately, leads to science denial, which itself is supported by these grand conspiracy theories.
0: And for those who say that they have been helped by, by these treatments outside of the mainstream alternative
1: treatments, uh, supplements, add to whatever you want the list,
0: what do you say to them?
1: I'm very happy for them because nobody wants to be dealing with, for example, chronic pain for the rest of their life. Uh, but the thing is that, you know, it's just your, ex- your experience. And sometimes, you know, you know, time heals many wounds uh, and sometimes that's all you need uh, is just time. But then when you, when you go out and you buy these supplements and you start to feel better, you will attribute your, your success to these supplements. But sometimes it was just your body doing its thing. What sort of pushback do you get? From the people who are pushing this, I mean, this is big business, as you've
0: said, and you're debunking treatments and products that, that make people a lot of money. Um, and I just wonder what's, what sort of heat you get back from them.
1: Uh, there's a huge scope from people who are just, you know, asking very good questions to, uh, you know, vague uh, death threats and, and legal threats as vague well. Vague death threats? Well, you know, no, nothing direct, nothing that, that would uh, require uh, going to, to, the, to the police. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I get all sorts of hate mail, nothing uh, on the same scale as, as what women or people of color uh, probably get. Um, but yeah, it is, it is part of the job, unfortunately.
0: What does that tell you?
1: it tells me that you know it's not enough to uh, debunk something or to investigate something and come to a conclusion that somebody uh, disagrees with because a lot of people will identify with their beliefs and so when somebody is is contradicting your narrative when when they are debunking something that you, that you believe in, you feel personally attacked. And it can be very difficult to have a conversation with these people because you are not discussing an intervention. You are discussing who they are as a person, the choices that they make and the values that they have. And that means the conversation gets a lot more emotional.
0: Do you feel like you're losing the battle in this, given how popular um, this space is and and how prevalent these pitches are
1: I mean you know we we are making a difference um, if we weren 't if nobody was doing this unfortunately you know the the other side would win i think it, it's it, we 're always at a disadvantage because you know, they are selling very easy solutions and we have to come in and say, well, no, actually it's a lot more complicated than this. And complicated things take a lot of, of brain power to process. And we're all very stressed out in our lives and we have other things to think about. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't just get hate mail. I also get very positive uh, emails from people saying, you know, thank you for ri- for having written this, uh, for speaking about this uh, on the air, because now I've, I've changed my mind about this, or I, I want to look into this some more. I, I want not Try this thing because now I know that it, it won't work. So, you know, we, we are making some progress. But, yeah, we are in the shadow of this massive industry that is feeding off of the most, the most sort of primitive parts of our brain.
0: Jonathan, really glad to talk to you about this. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Jonathan Jerry is a science communicator at McGill University's Office for Science and Society and co-host of the podcast, The Body of Evidence. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.